Hello, this is Aaron Bounds, pastor of the Anchor Church located in Zanesville, Ohio. I want to say thanks for tuning in today. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you to live the life God called you to live. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for the songs today about the blood and about the good things of God. When I, when I was a kid, there was a man that wrote a song from the area where I lived that said, somebody prayed for me. Somebody had me on their mind. They sacrificed their time. They fell down on their knees and prayed for me. I'm so glad that the Lord did bring me out. I'm so glad that somebody prayed for me. That's how the song was written. Do you realize the church body members Church is the only entity that exists for its non-members. What that means is you are the voice for someone else. For someone that does not have a voice for their life. You are their voice. That you stand between them and God and say, Lord, would you bring a deliverance? Would you forgive them of their sins? Would you set them free? I'm telling you today, somebody's life is going to be changed in this room. People have been praying for you. We are so glad you are here. We're so thankful that you are here. Aren't you glad somebody called your name to the Lord and mentioned your name to God? Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands and begin to pray. Lord, I pray for every guest. I pray for every saint, every single person that has arrived at this church this morning, that your word would speak to them. Your word would speak to them and give them direction and clarity and healing. I pray that, Lord, every child, every adult would feel your spirit, wrap your arms around them and love them, changing their situation, healing their minds, their emotions in their body in the name of the Lord Jesus I pray divine healing to move upon this congregation I pray for everybody to be healed everybody that's going through a situation to be set free I pray today is a turning point God today for some person in the building Lord that needs that direction and that peace in the name of Jesus Christ we pray Somebody say amen. Oh, clap your hands and make a joyful noise. Hallelujah. Amen. Remain standing. These in the altar can return to their seats. I want to say it is so good to have with us our evangelist. Amen. We're so glad his granddaughter's here. Maddie, we're so glad that she's here. Brother Nick Mahaney is an evangelist, been evangelizing 14 years. To know him is to love him. One of the most enjoyable preachers, powerful, faith. He preached, we did a meeting not too long ago together, so impacted my life. And I'm going to tell you what I feel. What God's done for him, he's going to do for you. I really feel it so strong that the trajectory of your family is about to turn. It's going to turn. The trajectory's going to turn. 
How many, how many believe God can heal you today? He's going to. Yes, he is. He's going to. Without any further ado, Brother Mahaney, we're so glad you're here. Love you so deeply. So thankful for you. And I know the hand of the Lord is upon him. Would you, would you give him a big Zanesville welcome today as he comes to preach the word of the Lord? Let's give Jesus that hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, he alone is worthy. Oh, how I love the name of Jesus. Oh, how I magnify your name. Hallelujah. The Bible talks, it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. You know, when you magnify something, you make it bigger. If we can magnify him in this place today, he becomes bigger than our sin. Come on, if we magnify him, he becomes bigger than cancer. If we magnify him, he becomes bigger than diabetes. I come to challenge somebody. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's magnify him. Let's exalt him. Let's let him know who he really is. Come on, you're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the mighty God. You're the everlasting Father. You're the Prince of Peace. Hallelujah. What an honor it is to be here and be at such a great church with a great pastor, great man of God and his family. And it's good to see Lily, Arkansas. I have my granddaughter with me, Maddie. Prettiest girl in here, of course. And she gets that from me. I know y'all are not used to having such good-looking evangelists. Just deal with it. It gets easier. And I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to do. I've been wrestling. I know I look like a wrestler. But <laughs> I look like the guy that ate the wrestler. But I believe the Lord is going to speak to us today. I want to read from Luke 15, uh, verse 17 through 24. Brother Bounds, I've been sick too, the same stuff. I'm pretty balanced. Bubbles in the middle, you know I'm level. But the Lord has his plan right now that he has laid out. Now, I haven't given my testimony in a while. I've had some things that happened lately that tried to silence my testimony. I lost my son to a fentanyl overdose two months ago. And the enemy tries to silence our voice. He says, why are you giving your testimony? Well, I'm going to tell you why. Because I will do everything in my power for another parent not to look into a casket of a backslid child. Amen. 
the enemy thought he could use, he didn't take him, but the enemy was an opportunist. And he thought he could use that opportunity to slow me down. But what he's done, he's messed up. Because I'm a fighter. Come on. And I come out after every devil that's trying to come against our family. I want you to know I don't believe the devil can make me sick. I don't believe the devil can make me have a flat tire. I don't believe I have to walk into a motel room and cast out devils. I believe when I walk in there, they run out. I don't believe that I have to bind anything because it's already been bound by the blood of Jesus Christ. All I've got to do is step into it. Luke 15, 17 through 24. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. And he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now I want you to lift your hands with me. By the authority of the word of God. And by the power that's in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord you give me the power to loose and I loose you into this place right now. I loose you against sickness. I loose you against addictions. I loose you against disease. I loose you against depression, anxiety. I loose you right now, Jesus. Lord, you also gave me the power to bind, and we bind every spirit that's not of you right now in the name of Jesus. It has to leave this place right now in the name of Jesus. Let angels at war begin to step into this place in the name of Jesus. God, touch my mind and touch my voice and touch my body. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, you may be seated. Several years ago, I was at a men's conference. Y'all have men's conferences, right, in Ohio? And I've never understood why we all go to a men's conference and get 1,500, 2,000 men, and they want us to hold hands. Y'all notice that? Grab the hand of the man next to you. I'm like, bro, I'm not doing that. I was raised you didn't hold a feller's hand. Anybody else? I'm a redneck. I'm sorry. I'm an Arkansas redneck. And I'm also very A-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D-D. I'm going to warn you, my testimony is my longest message because I would lose my own attention 
I had to write everything out to keep me from straying. And on the Arkansas campground during this men's conference, I walked out of the tabernacle, ADD kicking in pretty hard. My hand was real sweaty from that guy next to me. I was expecting him to ask me to show these later. So I decided I'd better leave. Oh, and there's no woke guy right here. I'm just going to tell you all right now. <laughs> and there was an elder at the time. His name was Bill Dean. Brother Jerry, Johnny Dean's dad, he was uh, sitting outside. He was like me, too. He had come outside. He had just had to get a break. And I didn't never met him before. And when I sat down beside him, we just began small talk, and I had been on a fast. Now, I know I don't look like I fast. It's the coming off the fast, all right? I'm getting hungry talking about it. Anybody else get hungry and you say the word fast? I can go all day without eating, and if I say, you know, I think I'll fast, I'm starving right then. I've never seen anything like it. Fasting's not my strength, apparently. But I'd been on a fast, and the Lord had spoken directly to me. I had just started evangelizing. It was about 14 years ago. I, I'm a late bloomer. I got the Holy Ghost at 38. I started preaching at 42. I'm 58, so I, I'm just now learning what I'm doing, so bear with me. And the Lord spoke to me and said, there's going to be a, a revival that is going to sweep America like we've never seen before. And the Lord spoke to me these words. He said, coming through our back doors are going to be the homosexuals, are going to be the prostitutes, are going to be the alcoholics, are going to be the drug addicts. Everybody society doesn't want, I want. And I'm going to draw them into the, our, our churches. And as I sat down by Elder Dean, he was a paratrooper in World War II. Man, he had all kinds of stories. And he was, we were just talking. And he didn't even know my name. And he began to, his body began to shake. Brother Bounds, he looked at me and he said, Young man, I don't know who you are, but the Holy Ghost just spoke to me. And I've got to tell you what the Holy Ghost said. He said, The Holy Ghost said that you're going to be used in a revival in the last days where the prostitutes... The homosexuals, the drug addicts, come on. And can I tell you, it's already happening. I've baptized tens of thousands of people all over the world that God has delivered from alcoholism. God has delivered from homosexuality. God has delivered from drug addiction. We're not waiting on God. God is waiting on us. He's just waiting on you to be willing. Pittsburgh, Kansas, in the early 70s. Now, I know I don't look like I was alive then, but I was. And my father, some of you may remember Charles Mahaney, who passed away 2007. If you ever seen him, you never forgot him. If you look up crazy in the dictionary, you'll see his fat face right there. God had called him out of Satanism and drugs 
And he started preaching 30 days after he got the Holy Ghost. And within a year, we were on, headed to Pittsburgh, Kansas to start a church. Now, there was no oneness churches at all in Pittsburgh, Kansas. No independence, nothing. We were it. We were the only oneness people that were coming to town. And we were riding around, you know, just getting the lay of the land. Y'all remember them big old cars we had back then? And we had pulled up to a park, and I was standing in the front seat. I, didn't, I never knew what a seatbelt was until I got arrested. <laughs> car seats, I don't even remember the first car seat I ever seen. Do y'all, some of you older people like me, we would lay, we would stand up in the seat, lay in the back window. My dad would say, come on up front and stand with me in the seat. That way when we have a wreck, you'll get catapulted. <laughs> through the front windshield and we'll pick up the pieces. Well, we were standing there because there was a crowd coming from this park, probably two or 300 people. And they were headed to the biggest church. I'm not casting stones. I'm just telling you the name of the church. The name of the church was Trinity Full Gospel Church. And they were all filing into this church. And we're just watching them walk by. And this man walks up. He made his first mistake. He walked up to our car. He leaned in the window and looked at my father. And he said, excuse me, are you our guest speaker? Man, my dad didn't even bat an eye. He said, I sure am. They said, well, you're late. We've been waiting on you. Well, I'm right here, he said. They got all five of us Mahaney's. We filed into this big, massive church. First time I ever seen theater seating in a church. This place was massive. They had already started church, and they just turned around made their second mistake and gave the microphone to my father. Now, I'm telling you all, my dad was nuts. He didn't walk. He slid up to that pulpit. And he pulls open his coat. He tells them the name brand of his coat, the name brand of his tie, the name brand of his shirt. Tells them the name brand of his shoes. And he says, because everything I own has a name on it or it's bootleg. He said, if you got a baptism and it doesn't have a name on it, you got a bootleg baptism. <laughs> Well, that went over like a pork chop at a bar mitzvah. <laughs> and as fast as they ushered us in, guess what? We're getting ushered right out the door, right down the middle aisle. And as we open the door, there are two families that stand up. They had been praying in each other's home and fasting because God had revealed Jesus' name baptism to them. And they had been praying, God, send a man to this town. See, being a little crazy is not too bad sometimes, is it? Well, they began to persecute my, my mother and my father in this town. They tried to blow the church up one time. My dad said he didn't mind that, but he was in it because they wait till he went home. He'd been happier. 
And my dad was about this tall and about that wide, too. He had those mean little beady eyes that could look right through you. And his face looked like it caught on fire and they put it out with a golf chute. He had tattoos all over him. My dad said when they ran out of stuff to read in jail, they just read him. He had so many tattoos. And me and my dad were sitting on the front porch. I was about seven years old. We're just sitting there. We're, you know, we're broke. We were so broke in home mission, somebody broke in. We mugged them. We're like, we've been waiting on you. You just think them Chaldeans are tough. We used to eat cereal with a fork. That way the next person can have some milk. Poor. We're sitting there and two carloads of men pull up to our our yard and they get out and I think they say fat boy or something like that, call them talking to my dad. They said, are you Mahaney? My dad said, yep. He said, well, we're here to whip you. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, could, I was just thinking, you know, off the top, boom. I was going to see, we didn't have nothing. We didn't even have a radio to watch. I was ready for some excitement. And my dad very calmly stands up, takes his coat off and lays it across the rail. He says, well, come on. He said, I believe I got enough of the Holy Ghost in me to let y'all whip me. And I'm telling y'all, Charles Mahaney was a mean-looking rascal. And that guy put his, steps, his foot on the steps and my dad jabs him, thump with his finger. He said, but you better pray I don't backslide during this beating, Jack. He said, y'all either start whipping or I'm going to start casting out devils. And they took off running, left their car. Boom, they took off running across that neighborhood. The last three years of my father's life, I was able to travel with him. And I began to pick his brain because he was an evangelist for 34 years. And at his passing. And I said, Dad, how did you know to become an evangelist? Because God had already called me, and I was trying to find out why. I hadn't even preached yet, but I knew what God had called me to do. My dad said I was in the church late one night. He said I was sitting in my chair, and an audible voice spoke to me. And that voice told me to look up. My father said I leaned back, and I lifted my head, and I looked up. He said when I did, I was like in another dimension. He said, and I was walking down this path. I'll never forget this story. And he said, off in the distance, I could hear the most torturous screams and cries for help. And he said, the further I walked down this path, it started feeling like a furnace of heat blasted me. He said, and I could smell flesh and I could smell hair. And he said, I could hear the, the torturous screams even louder. He said, and I walked to the edge of this pit and he said, I looked and there was people tumbling and falling and screaming in hell. My dad said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, look across this pit. My dad said, when he did, there was tens of thousands of people walking towards this pit. 
He said, the Lord spoke to me. He said, I want you to look in their face. My dad said, son, I could see every feature in their face. And he said, the Lord said, Charlie Mahaney, if you don't evangelize, their blood's going to be on your hands. So he goes home. So we don't, we don't preach a lot of this stuff anymore, but he goes home and he has a dream. Now, I have a brother and sister. My sister has passed away. They were twins and they were born on my second birthday. So we all three had the same birthday. You want to talk about tough birthday and home missions, you get a brother and sister. My dad said we're all three born on the same day because he was oneness. We had seen before he had preached in the 70s, and he called us Charlie's Angels. <laughs> I told y'all he was crazy. But in that dream, my mother was rocking the twins. And in his dream, he walks up and says, what's going on? She said, they died. And my dad said, what happened? And she looked at him and said, you wouldn't evangelize. My dad got up. He said, God, if this is of you, show my wife tonight. Before the dawn could break, God had shown my mother the exact same dream. And she said, I don't know what's going on, but we've got to evangelize. Well, they didn't wait around. They started packing right then. They started selling stuff, what little we had. And my dad had read somewhere that uh, being an evangelist, you had to have a trailer. He, come, he found one of those old teardrop-looking trailers and pulling it. We had a 1965 Buick Wildcat. The front of it went like 40 yards past the front door. <laughs> I mean, this was a bomb, this car was. You could, it's like a tank. You could drive it through anything. And Mahaney men, we're not fixer-uppers. I'm a demolisher. We're trying to get a shop built at my house. My wife said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm thinking about woodworking. She said, no, you're not. <laughs> I can take a bowling ball and a rubber hammer and tear it to pieces, but I can't put nothing together. And my dad was the same way in this old car didn't have any taillights. So my dad got this idea that he would take batteries, uh, wires from the battery and run it to the window, battery uh, wires from the taillights and run them to the windows. And when we'd see the cops, my dad would rub the wires together, taillights. Can't make this up, y'all. Every time we made a left-hand turn in this car, the horn would honk. Oh, yeah. It seemed like every revival, none of them you could make a right-hand turn in. <laughs> They'd be all outside, and here's the Mahaney's. Wow! We have had some prayer meetings in the floorboard of that car like y'all have never seen before in your life as kids. If there had been a visitor, we'd have had an altar service because we was, we was praying the power down. Another fine feature, the doors would just fly open on the car. You'd be driving 70. <laughs> Hang on! So here we are. Going to evangelize. 
And we had a 1965 Buick Wildcat, an old trailer, and a lot of faith. And we get in that car to turn it on. Everybody's watching us. And it throws a rod. It's done. The motor's done. Now, we're just sitting there. My, my dad says, everybody out of the car. Now, back then, when your dad said, get out of the car, you tore the door off getting out of the car. It wasn't like, uh, hold on. My dad would take you on a whaling expedition. He'd pull that belt and it'd be. And you're thinking, dear God in heaven, I'll never get away from this belt. Out of the car. We get out of the car. Put your hands on the hood. Boop, we put our hands on the hood. And my dad lifts his hands in front of all the neighbors and everybody. Lord, I didn't call myself to evangelize. You called me to evangelize. Now my car's motor's dead. You're going to have to revive this car right now in the name of Jesus and heal my car or we can't evangelize. Get in the car. That's all he said. Get in the car. We get in the car. Whoom. Come on, my Bible says I was young and I was old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor their seed begging bread. Come on, if he can heal a car, he can heal your diabetes today. Come on, if he can heal a car, he can heal your cancer today. If he can heal your car, blind eyes can be opened up. Come on, I serve a God that no matter what, he is our healer, he is our provider. We were in Wharton, Texas, and it was hard to get my dad speechless. But he was preaching. He got very quiet and speechless. It was an outdoor service, and he was just staring out behind everybody. So everybody turns around and looks, and our car was on fire. I'm not talking about smoking. I'm talking. God had taken it in a sacrifice. And if you looked at the Mahaney kids, little did we know that our next one was going to be one of those yellow station wagons with the wood down the side. God began to use Charles Mahaney greatly. When I tell you I can't tell you how many countries I've preached in. And not every country I've ever been in, they are impacted by the ministry of Charles Mahaney. Every preacher, I, I can't tell you the pastors that I preach for. They, they either receive the Holy Ghost at a youth camp or my dad preached at a, a youth conference or something and they were called to preach. I can't tell you how many pastors' wives have received the Holy Ghost under his ministry. My dad was a great man of faith. I'll never forget El Dorado, Arkansas, 1978. There was a man there that was born blind. He was in his 50s. He wasn't born with the things in his eyes to be able to see. During the song service, my father walked down, put his hands over that man's eyes and said, I speak faith. Be healed in Jesus' name. 
He stands up and screams because in an instant, God created everything. My God, I can see. He said, my God, I can see. We were in Texas again. My dad would get through preaching. He'd, come, he'd always sit on the platform afterwards because he liked to interact with people, and they would all come up to the platform. If you was fat, he called you skinny. If you was skinny, he called you fat. If you was bald, he called you curly. If you had a beard, he'd call you grizzly. I mean, it just went on and on and on. And it's all good nature. They would just laugh. And I remember everybody had left. This boy, about 12 years old, walks up on the platform. And I'm sitting beside my father, and he'd been hit in the eye with a rock, and it was real glazed over. And he walked up to my dad, and he said, Brother Mahaney, I believe if you pray for me, God's going to heal my eye. What would you do? Seriously, what would you do? I've asked myself. You know what my dad said? Well, come here. I know he'll heal your eye. My dad put his hand over that boy's eye. And I want to tell y'all, he didn't bend him backwards. He didn't spit in his face. I've had prayer before and had to have prayer for the prayer. Because by the time they got done with me, my back had scoliosis. Didn't turn his tie sideways. He didn't get one ear and go, let loose, and on the other one, hold on. He just said, in the name of Jesus, be healed. I watched when he moved his hand, that eye turned brown. Right in front of my eyes. I come to tell you, if he did it then, he'll do it today. Come on. If he did it then, he'll do it today. I don't care what you came in here with. You don't have to walk out of here like you walked in. Come on, I've got a God. His name is Jesus. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. He's our healer. He's our kinsman redeemer. I've seen many a time we'd head to the next revival without the money to get to the next revival. My, my, my dad would drive so far, and that's why it's such quite an honor right now to take care of my mother who has Louis body dementia, is because of this, she was here through all of this. We had no gas to go any further. My dad called my mom Lucky. He'd pull over and said, all right, Lucky, let's get out. They'd walk over to the gas tank on that car. In the name of Jesus... Lord, I've got to have the gas to get to the next revival. Get in the car. Here we go. We should have never made it, but Jesus helped us make it. Our very first revival was in December. All evangelists sing that old song. If we make it through December... A lot of people don't want revival in December. It's going to shock y'all. 
They'd rather ho, 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 I guess. I don't know. So we had one revival, none until after the holidays. Somebody let us stay. We was way up in northern Missouri. They let us stay in this old house. You know, the wind blew. You could feel it. You know, one of them old houses when you walked, it was like eek, 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 eek. Not anything to eat. My mom told my father, we don't have anything. What are we going to do? My dad told her to go set the table. He went and put out the plates. She went out and put out the glasses. She put out dishes that food would come in, all the silverware. You want to see mass hysteria? You just say dinner time at a Mahaney house. Sounded like a herd of wildebeest coming through that old house. We slid up to the table. Nothing. When I tell y'all there was nothing. And my dad said, bow your head. I'm going to say grace. I'm thinking, for what? Man of God lifts his hands. Lord, I want to thank you for the food that, you're going to, that we're about to receive. Would you bless it right now and nourish it and sanctify it to our bodies? Somebody's beating on our door. We walk up to that door, and I'll never forget, I'm looking around my dad, and there's two men standing there in black suits, white shirts, and black ties. This man is holding two bags of groceries. And he looks at my dad, and he said, Sir, are y'all hungry? He said, I was driving by, and I'm compelled to pull into this house. He said, See that car? And in the back seat, it was covered with brown sacks of groceries. Don't you tell me my God doesn't know where we're at. See, the problem now, we don't have to worry about the next meal. He cares about every hair on your head. He cares about your next breath. He holds it right here in his hand. You think after seeing all of that, I'd have been the first one to Bible college. Truth is, only thing stood between me and college was high school. Little thing there kept me from going. <laughs> Matter of fact, they had me play Abraham Lincoln in the third grade. I was so old, I was the only boy who could grow a beard. I walked into math class one time. The lady said, if you had 30 cents in one pocket and 50 in the other, what would you have? I said, somebody else's pants. I don't know. So, I'm sorry, y'all. This is what you get when you get me. <laughs> but the truth is, I never found him for myself. Can I tell somebody, you can't rely on what your grandma had. Can I tell a wife, you can't rely on what your husband has. Can I tell a husband, you can't rely on what your wife has. Children, you can't rely on what your parents have. You have to find him for yourself. You have to fall in love with Jesus, and you have to get an experience for yourself. <laughs> I'm trying to hurry. Redfield, Arkansas, 1983, senior camp. I came to camp that year. I had two ounces of, of weed, and I had poured out 
two or three bottles of mouthwash and just left enough to dye vodka green, hid it in my luggage, and I came to camp. I was 17 years old. I'd go out in the woods, smoke a joint, and I'd go to the concession stand. Back to the woods, smoke a joint, back to the concession stand. Didn't take them long to figure out what was going on because I was the best customer at the burger stand. So they followed me and I went out to smoke a joint and they caught me. And that year, Jerry Dean was my youth president. Aubrey Giroux was my youth secretary. Elder Lumpkin was the superintendent. In the tabernacle there in Redfield, behind the platform used to be the boardroom. And I was in that boardroom a lot, not by choice. I thought I'd, they'd get me a name tag. I was in there so much. And they caught me smoking the dope. And they brought me in there, and I'll never forget, Brother Dean looked at me. And he looked at Brother McCool. Brother McCool just flushed all my marijuana. He says, Brother McCool, what should we do with him? Brother McCool began to weep. He said, all I know, Brother Dean, if that was my son, I'd be begging you for mercy right now. Brother Dean pointed his finger in my face. He said, Nick Mahaney, I ought to call the police. I ought to call your dad and I ought to call Brother Lumpkin. He said, but the Holy Ghost is telling me you're at a crossroads and you have to find something tonight or your life's never going to be the same again. They were merciful and they let me go and I went back and I snuck out my vodka and I began to drink. By the time church rolled around, I was pretty well drunk and I got up and I tapped my friend on the leg and I said, I don't believe in God. I don't believe this message and I'll never be back. And I turned my back on God and I walked out on the backside of the cross. In one year, at 18 years old, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about somebody that's hands shook like this, that I couldn't even light a cigarette until I got some vodka or bourbon poured in and got my nerves calmed down. And then I would start drinking, rolling joints, and I'd smoke and drink until I went into blackouts. You see, God has people he'll send into your lives. But the devil has people he'll send into your life too. You mark my word, he's after your children. Come on, he's after you. He's after your families. He doesn't want them in this church. He's going to do everything he can He's going, to do, he's, he's, going to, he's going to throw the gauntlet down. He's coming after them. And you young men, if you'll hold on, God has a woman just for you. Can I tell you, you do not have to go out of the church to find somebody. Come on, God's got a godly woman for you. God's got a woman that's going to cover you in prayer. But I promise you, the devil has one just for you. Come on, they're going to walk out and their eyelashes. <laughs> Looks like an Avon lady blew up in her face. Looks like she worked all night in the coal mines and washed everything but her eyeballs. Come on. Wearing that gownless evening strap. That'll take you a minute. Young ladies, God has a man for you. 
You don't have to look outside the church. I'm just going to tell you right now, God has a godly man for you. He's got a man that's not going to get drunk and beat you. He's got a man that's not going to come home and steal your money, stick it up his arm, his nose, smoke it. Boy, the devil's got one for you too, though. Got his pants hanging down here. I promised my wife, Sandra Mahaney, I'd quit telling guys to pull their britches up in Walmart. Because I get sick of it. Come on, I'm sick and tired of it. Walking around using bad language. I'll tell him in a heartbeat. There's a guy on the plane. He said a bad word. The next one out of his mouth, I was going to tell him, shut up. Do you not see who's sitting beside me? Come on, we need some men to stand up in these last days and be men. Devil's got somebody, got one whisker out here, one down here, and one over here. Reminds you of that scripture, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Well, the devil began sending people into my life. I was, I used to, when I left that campground, I partied all around it. And on the front of that building, Brother Bounds has preached there, it says, Arkansas District United Pentecostal Church Campground, Redfield, Arkansas. I used to pull up to that chain link fence and I would throw beer bottles against that building. I would throw whiskey bottles against that building. I would curse God. I'd point to the sky and curse God. And about a mile up from that campground, they were having a party. And a guy come out with a mirror about this big, long white lines on it. He said, you like partying? It's cocaine. He said, you'll party for days you try one of these. He was right. I snorted a line of cocaine. Man, I was an expert on everything. I'm a big, fat, white guy. I can't dance. I get on that cocaine, I'd be like. And that's back on all over the news. This is all you heard. The cheapest, most powerful form of cocaine has come to America. It was called the crack epidemic. I will never forget hearing the newsman say this. One hit, you could die. One hit, you're addicted. And in my sick mind, I couldn't wait to find some crack cocaine. I remember the first time I found a crack rock, I, put it, I had a radio antenna full of Brillo, and I put that rock down in that antenna, and I, when I lit that rock and I pulled that smoke into my lungs, the news finally got something right. I was hopelessly and helplessly addicted. The only way I could keep up with my habit, I began to sell massive amounts of crack cocaine in Little Rock. And I began running around with some bikers. Now their drug of choice was methamphetamines. And I remember the first time I did meth, I washed my car, the neighbor's car, everybody on the block's car. I talked so much, my tongue was sunburnt. I was up 14 days one time on methamphetamines. I'm just going to let y'all in on something. Your body ain't meant to be awake 14 days. That's why people see tree people and hallucinate and kill people. Well, the only way I could keep up with my habit on that was I became a meth cook. 
I remember one time when I was 19 years old, I was sitting at a, was at a big party full of bikers. And when they'd, we'd made a big batch of methamphetamines and I was sitting on a blue recliner and my friend Danny walked up and said, you like getting high, roll your sleeve up and you'll be higher than you've ever been before in your life. I rolled my sleeve up and he took a U100 insulin syringe full of dope and he put that point in my vein and when I seen that blood shoot up into the syringe, I was hopelessly addicted right then. It didn't matter what I had to do. I was going to get me another shot of drugs. I strong-armed people. I'm going to tell you some stuff I'm not proud of right now, but I'm going to be transparent with you. I've kicked doors in on houses, held them all hostage, took their money, I don't know how many cars I've stolen. I don't know how many places I've robbed. I don't know how many people that I've seen had a lot of money that I beat them and beat them until I got their money. God forgive me. He has forgave me. I was very violent. I had spirits that dwelt inside of me. And if you cross me, I was very violent, very violent man. And here I was sticking that needle in my arm. I've been arrested more times than Otis a drunk on Mayberry. I don't know if y'all know who that is up here. Poor Otis. And I, I just, my life was just so out of control. I wish I could pull back just for a minute and let you see who I used to be. See, if you had known me before I knew him, you'd understand why I love him so much. I was pulling into a house, Sardis Road, and when I pulled in, you see people were always trying to kill me, rob me, and when I pulled in, a man pulled open my car door and he put a pistol to my head. Well, I thought he was trying to hurt me and I grabbed the gun, pulled him in the car, and I put a pretty bad thumping on him because I thought I was fighting for my life. When I threw him out of the car, a badge popped out on a chain. Now, I don't know how they are in Ohio, but in Arkansas, the popo gets mad when you take their gun from them. Any of y'all ever been pepper sprayed? I just now, four years ago, told my wife, pass the pepper, please. <laughs> I have been pepper sprayed so much, I ought to be orange right now. Well, they pepper sprayed me. They pulled me out of the car, ripped my shirt off, drug me across the rock. Somebody hit me a couple times in the head because my head was bleeding. You don't realize this, but they can take your wrist here and put it up to your head. And I finally, me screaming, I'm not resisting, quit hitting me with that stick. They got me handcuffed. Here's something else I don't understand. As they was putting me in the car, the cop goes, watch your head, sir. Where was the watch your head, sir, two minutes ago? I could have used him. What do you mean watch my head? You just hit me in the head with a stick. Five class Y felonies. Now in Arkansas, they're 10 to 60 years apiece. Now I'm on trial for these felonies and they raid my home and I have a full-blown meth lab going. Eight more class Y felonies. They wanted to give me life without parole. And I was finally at the end of my rope. 
And I decided I was going to try to get off of drugs because I knew I was probably going to prison. Well, no probably to it, but I went and checked myself into a drug rehab. I'd never been to a rehab before, and I'd stayed up all night shooting dope. You know, I have to remember I'm looking at life in prison. That's, that's the start of the trial. When I walk in, there's a little girl there, probably 18, 19 years old. I said, my name's Nick Mahaney. I'm here to check in. She stands up and goes, Nick Mahaney? Your dad wouldn't be Charles Mahaney, would it? I thought, oh, Lord. She walks around and points her little finger up in my face and says, I'm calling my mama. That's my favorite preacher. I should have just went. No, I went through seven days of the sickness that, like you've never felt before. I went through days of torture and pain. And I knew all I had to do was leave this place, walk across the street to the liquor store, call one of my friends, and everything would be fine. I wouldn't be sick anymore. I'd made up my mind. You see, this is the only hope. I was, I was 38 years old. Only hope my parents had ever had was I was finally here. I made up my mind, I'm leaving, and I headed to my room, and they have a bank of phones. Every day at 4.30, you get phone calls. The phone rings, and the guy goes, hey, Nick, it's for you. Now, it was my dad. Now, I want you all to understand something. My dad called everybody ignorant. Hey, ignorant, what are you doing? That's just what he did. He, just, he loved me. I thought my name was ignorant until I got my birth certificate. <laughs> and he answered and said, hey, ignorant, what's going on? I said, Dad, I'm sorry, but I'm out of here. I don't mean to let y'all down, but I can't do this. He got real quiet, and I'm telling y'all, he said, repent, ignorant, and slammed that phone down. Man, I had never been so mad. I will tell y'all, I was cussing. That fat rascal called me ignorant my whole life, and I got up to my room. Brother Downs, God is my witness. As I put my hand on that door, a voice said, repent. This is it. You've tried everything else. Pastor spoke about it this morning. Repent. I'm going to tell y'all, I know God's omnipresent, but when I opened that door to my little room, it was like he was sitting over my bed. I crawled on my hands and knees to my, that bed, and I lifted my hands. Here's what I prayed. I said, Jesus, my name is Nick Mahaney, like he didn't know who I was. I said, Jesus, my name is Nick Mahaney, and I've been a horrible person. I want you all to understand, I used to read tarot cards. I, used to, I, could, I could read your mail. I could, the, the devil would work through me. I was possessed by demons. And because of being locked up a lot, I was a bigot, a racist. And I said, Lord, if you'll change me and take these demons and all these addictions from me, I promise you, whether I'm in prison or whether I'm free, I'll spend the rest of my life telling everybody about you. Immediately, I began to speak in another language as the Spirit of God gave me the utterance. I come to tell you as I began to speak in tongues, I felt demons tear out of my body. Come on, addiction demons had to leave me. Come on, bigotry had to leave me. Come on, I cannot tell somebody God never made a skin covenant. He made a blood covenant. You'll go to hell being a bigot and a racist.
That was March of 2004. Can I tell you, I haven't smoked another joint since then. Can I tell you, I haven't tasted another drink of alcohol. Can I tell you, I haven't put another needle in my arm. I haven't watched another piece of pornography since March of 2004. Because my Bible tells me whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. You don't have to leave here like you came in. If he did it for Nick Mahaney, he can do it for you. If he did it for Nick Mahaney, he can do it for your children too. Twelve nineteen. Now I can tell y'all why I'm here and not in prison, or I can just close. What do you want me to do? All right. I go to court, full of the Holy Ghost. When I tell y'all, when I received the Holy Ghost, I got full of the Holy Ghost. I'm still full of the Holy Ghost. I go to court and the, the state decides to give me a plea bargain, 40 to life. Whew. Ain't much a bargain if you ask me. I was figuring it up. Well, at 78, I'll be eligible for parole. <laughs> we begin to pray. I went to work back to campgrounds where I walked out of. This time, Murray Ray was the youth secretary and Tim Gaddy was the youth president. And I knew I was going to prison, so I just wanted to come back and give back something. They all gathered around me and began to pray. That was in June. In August, I went to court. And I'll never forget, me and my father was sitting in the little room. You know, I don't know if any of y'all have ever been to a big trial like that, but they put you in this little room. I'm still not big on being sequestered. And my attorney looks at me and my father, and he goes, let me go one more time and just throw myself at the feet of the judge. This is what he told us. He said, maybe I can get him out in 20 to 30 years. Well, that beat 40 to life. At least 20 to 30 years and about 15 years I'd be eligible for parole. He's only gone like five minutes. And I'm going to tell you all, if you ever go to court and they're only gone five minutes, ain't a good thing. And he walks in. My dad thinks tact is something you nail carpet down with. He's not a very tactful guy. And when he walks in, he can see his face. He goes, what happened? I'm like, man, dad, I'm about to die of a heart attack right now. He goes, you ain't going to believe this. He said, I never even said one word. He said, I opened the door and the judge pointed, didn't even look at me. He said, go ask your client if he'll take drug court. That is a miracle from God. They don't give people like me drug court. I did not qualify for nothing drug court had. And I had to plead guilty. And here's what they sentenced me to. 185 months in prison if I failed. Times 25%. Figure that out. Then 185 months if I lived that long. Supervised parole. I'd go, when I went to drug court, they'd say, if you mess up, how long do you have? They'd say, oh, two years, three years. I'd say 185 months times 12. And they'd go, what? Well, I, I had a therapist. Her name's Lisa Ramsey. Y'all pray for her. She was my therapist. Fine Catholic lady. 
And I'd been witnessing her to her for our, all of our therapy sessions. And finally one day she pushes her chairs back and she goes, shut up. Well, I have that effect on women. You can ask my granddaughter and my wife. She said, if you'll learn, I told her I sang at church. She said, if you'll learn this song, Who Am I, and quit asking me, I'll come to church. I learned it in like two hours. I called her and said, hey, Lisa. She said, yeah. I said, I learned that song. I'll see you Sunday. She walks in, fine Catholic lady. Never, our baptistry was way up there. She'd never seen a baptistry. She goes, she called me Mahaney, still calls me Mahaney. She says, Mahaney, what's that? I said, well, we can't drink our baptistry. I said, we got to dunk you down in it. She steps back and goes, I'm telling you, you're not getting me up there. I baptized her in Jesus' name that night. I baptized her husband in Jesus' name. I just got a message from her, said, hey, Mahaney, my daughter's ready to be baptized. We're not letting nobody baptize anybody in my family but you. We had right at 100 people in drug court, and I baptized 92 people. Myself, in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you, young preachers, you better be a soul winner first. Come on, you better learn how to witness to somebody. I had parole officers and probation officers. I baptized every single one of them in the name of Jesus Christ. After 18 months of drug tests and all this stuff, I, I, they sent me to all these classes, NAAA. I caused so much ruckus in them places. I, that, I would never get up. And not, they'd make you say, my name's Nick Mahaney, and I'm an alcoholic. I never would say that. I'd get up and say, my name's Nick Mahaney. I'm a child of God. I've been born again. My old man died. I'm not a drug addict. I'm not an alcoholic. I had one guy jump up and start running at me and start thumping me in the chest. I said, bro, God deliver me from drugs and alcohol, but not you thumping me in the chest. You do it one more time. So I was finally going to get to graduate from something, drug court. You can go in my little office, sit down in my chair, and if you look to the left, it says Nicholas D. Mahaney, ordained minister of the United Pentecostal Church International. Right next to it, Nicholas D. Mahaney, a graduate of Arkansas Drug Court. Because if I ever start thinking that's something, I'm going to look at where God brought me out of. So the courtroom would seat about 150 people. And it was packed because they were making a big push for drug court, and I was going to be their poster child. I didn't realize it at that time. <clears throat> and two days before graduation, I get a call from Judge Gary Arnold's office. You are to report immediately to the judge's office. Who? You talk about being sore afraid. I, when I walked in there, Judge Arnold said, bro, sit down. Everything's fine. I mean, I was like, 
I thought they done found something else. He goes, listen, he, he knew how long that court had been in session since like the 1820s. He said, I have been a judge. I don't know how many drug addicts I've sentenced to prison. He said, but nobody can ever tell me again that there's not a God because you was the worst of the worst and God has changed you. That's what he said. He said, now this is unprecedented, but can you bring a piano in the courtroom tomorrow? And when, before you graduate, can you sing Amazing Grace? Oh, it gets better. And he said, I want you to walk out of my chambers with me. What? They said, all rise. I'm like, didn't think you'd ever see that, did you? And I walked up to that microphone, lifted my hands. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Whoa, that saved, it saved a wretch, saved a wretch like me. Whoa, I once was so lost. Whoa, but thank God I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. When I tell you the power of God fell in that courtroom in Saline County, I look back and my dad had tears running down his face. My mom had her hand going, whoop, 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 whoop. And I thought, uh-oh, I'm going to have to explain tongues and interpretation to the judge. And that judge walks down from that podium. My charges were like this. They couldn't put them in a file. He's carrying them to me. He walks up to me. He said, Nick Mahaney, you can shred them, you can burn them, you can frame them. I find no fault in you. They took and sealed all my felonies. 13 felonies, come on now. Tell me my God can't do anything. And can I tell you, that same God 2,000 years ago on a place called Calvary, he put my, my sins, my charges in his hands and in his feet. And he says, Nick Mahaney, you're free and clear. I find no fault in you. Let's all stay standing. You see, I shouldn't be here. I can tell you where I should be in Grady, Arkansas, Cummins Prison, sitting in a, in a cell right now. Or I should be in a grave from a drug overdose. But God loved me enough. And can I tell you, he loves you just as much. Now I want you to listen to me just for a couple more. I know I've went a long time. I'm so sorry. You may not have 
the sin that I had. But sin is sin. And that sin wants to drag you out of church. And that sin wants to keep you from this altar. I'm not going to ask you here in a minute to come to this altar to join a church. I'm not going to have a card that says Anchor Church. Fill it out. You're going to be a member now. But what I'm going to ask you to do here in just a moment is to lay your sin at this altar. The song said, oh, come to the altar. That's what it says. Can I tell you, it's that easy. I shouldn't be here. I, I can't even get in. That's only a tenth of what I've done. I can't get into it because I would be too ashamed and too embarrassed. But see, you don't see that man. You see this man. Can I tell you, there's not, I wouldn't hurt anybody. The only time I would ever even consider if somebody messed with my family, then I'm afraid of what would happen. But for as far as me, he took all that from me. I cry. I never cried. I weep tears over the lost. I weep tears over you. You see, God called me to evangelize, and he showed me your face. He said, if you'll come and fight for their soul, I'll honor it. Now, I'm going to tell you something real quick. It's going to be painful. He wants to save your children. He wants to save your children. I lost mine, fentanyl. I don't believe once you're saved, you're always saved. I'm just going to tell you right now. But I believe once you're his child, you're always his child. I was told by a man of God that helped me, said, Nick, you can't put him in heaven and you can't put him in hell. You got to put him in God's hands. I want to help you now while yours are still here. I don't want to see you go through the pain of the tears that I cry every day right now. I want your children to be saved. I want you to be saved. I would fight to my last breath for you right now. I can't repent for you, but I'd lay on this carpet and I would not leave this building until I'd repented for each and every one of you. And that Jesus is here right now. He's not here condemning you. Do you know Jesus never one time condemned me? My earthly father never one time condemned me. He just loved me. And he loves you. And he's your heavenly father. How much more do you think he has for you? Won't every head bowed, every eye closed right now. If I have said something in here today that's touched your heart and you feel like you need to make a change in your life, nobody looking. Could you just lift your hand for me? That you want to go a little bit further with him. Come on, keep your hand up. All right, put him down. I'm going to ask a tough question because it's, it's not tough on you, it's tough on me. How many of you have children that used to be in church? Come on, lift your hand. You don't know what that phone call is going to bring. I know your pain. Oh, gosh. 
Help me, Jesus, right now, God. If you lifted your hand, you need to go further with God. I want you to step out first. Come on, step to this altar. Come on. Don't be ashamed of him because he's not ashamed of you. He created you. He formed you. He just wants to finish what he started. Come on. I don't, I don't even want you kneeling. I want you to walk up with your hands raised to this altar. Come on. Come on down. Get close. I know we're close to West Virginia, but I ain't got any snakes. Come on. Get close. He's about to finish a good work that he started in you. If you'll just let me minister to you just for a second. Come on, that's it. Get close. They're still coming. Can I tell some of you young ladies something right now? I feel a strong call on some of you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that we've, we've held back ladies for a long time. God wants to turn you loose. Can I, and I'm, I'm just going to say something. I don't do this kind of stuff. When that angel reached into you to heal your body, he, he placed gifts in her. He wasn't healing her. He was placing gifts. God had already healed her, and I see him on her. Now, God wants to move in your life. I want to go closer to you, Jesus. That's all he wants. I'm not asking you to do anything. I want you to lift your hands right now. And I want you to begin to repent. I can't repent for you. You hear me? He has to hear your voice. I can't repent for you. Come on, begin to say, Jesus, forgive me. Come on, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come on, talk to him. Jesus, forgive me. Come on, forgive me, Jesus. I've been going places I shouldn't go. Talk to him. I can't do it for you. I've been watching things I shouldn't watch. Jesus, I've been listening to stuff I shouldn't listen to. He, come on, he, just, he knows it already. He's just waiting on you to confess it to him. Jesus, forgive me, God. Thanks again for listening to the Anchor Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Zanesville area, we invite you to join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at theanchor.church. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.